mindfulness and exercise have any impact on cognitive functioning in older adults? What about diet and exercise and people that have knee pain from osteoarthritis? Can you just do things like take a quick flight of stairs and achieve some benefits? And a new use of T-cells to treat people that have refractory cancer. That's what we're talking about this week on Double T Health Watch, your weekly look at the medical headlines from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center in El Paso. I'm Elizabeth Tracy, a Baltimore-based medical journalist. And I'm Rick Lang, president of Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center, El Paso. We're also dean of the Paul L. Foster School of Medicine. Elizabeth, where do you want to start? How about if we start with the New England Journal of Medicine? We've got a couple studies we're going to kind of treat together. This is a new type of antibody. Here's what it does. It grabs onto the cancer cell with one arm, it grabs onto the T cell with the other arm, so it puts them in close proximity so the T cell can actually attack the cancer cell. These are called bispecific antibodies, and they've been tested in two types of cancer, individuals that had lymphoma or multiple myeloma, and in both cases, these were individuals that had been refractory. They had recurrence of their cancer, and sometimes they had a second-line therapy, and they were given these bispecific antibodies. About 40% of individuals had a complete response, that is a cancer cure, and about 80% of these individuals, it was durable for at least a year. These are off the shelf. We can actually make these bispecific antibodies to specific cancers and specific receptors. Right. So let's just remind people about the architecture of a lot of antibodies where it kind of looks like a Y. So it has two arms and we can manipulate those arms separately. We use this expression when we talk about generating antibodies that's raising antibodies. So let's talk about raising these antibodies and how onerous that is or isn't and how specific it is or isn't. Well, we can get these antibodies very specific. This particular antibody for lymphoma attacks only the B cells. This is a B cell lymphoma, and it's very specific for grabbing T cells. This is a type of manufacturing process that years ago took a lot of effort, but now it's fairly routine. It's so routine that what we need to do is spend more time identifying receptors that are specific to a cancer and doesn't have cross-reactivity. For example, on the multiple myeloma bispecific antibody, the receptor on the multiple myeloma cells is also present on the skin and also in the nails. So one of the side effects are people develop a rash. So we want to try to find receptors that are very specific to the cancer, and that's what we want to target the antibodies towards. We, of course, are learning that everybody's cancer is unique. Will there be a day when we raise antibodies that will be specific to a patient? Elizabeth, I think that is not far off. Something to look forward to. Let's turn from here to nature medicine. And this is something that appeals to me. A study that takes a look at the association of wearable device measured, vigorous, intermittent lifestyle physical activity. Don't you love that? Vigorous, intermittent lifestyle physical activity and its association with mortality. Of course, they have an acronym that they use for that. It's VILPA. And this is our study that's fast becoming our favorite study, the UK Biobank study, yielding all sorts of very interesting information. The subset that they looked at in this case were 25,000 plus non-exercisers, about 62 years of age, and slightly more women than men. Their average follow-up was just shy of seven years, and during that time, 852 deaths. This VILPA 
was inversely associated with all-cause mortality, cardiovascular disease, and cancer mortality. The more VILBA that you engaged in, the lower your risk of having any of these other outcomes. And the really interesting news is that it wasn't intentional, hey, I'm going to carve out a couple hours and go to the gym. This was really what I had initially said in the intro. Could you just go run up and down the stairs for two or three minutes and do that several times during the day? And this is a pretty powerful reduction that we see in this study. I must confess, I was a little surprised at how significant the reduction was. You're talking about 25 to 30 to 40 percent of reductions. These are bursts of activity. But you do it three or four or five times a day. And for the week, that's about 30, 35 minutes. And next thing you know, you've reduced mortality substantially. So we're talking about, okay, let's park your car at the end of the parking lot and walk fast to the store. Or let's walk up a flight of stairs instead of taking the elevator. These very short bursts of activity, but done frequently throughout the week, really add up. This improved mortality not only in non-exercisers, but you notice they also did an analysis of people that were exercisers as well. And even in them, it was also beneficial. That's pretty profound. I like to think about doing this myself because as both of us are usually, when I'm on the unit, I'm not, of course, desk bound, but at other times I am. And so I like to get up and actually stretch and move and do something a little bit different. And I'm going to start intentionally doing these kinds of things. I'm thinking about stairs. Yeah. Many of us take an elevator up one or two floors and we can take the stairs. I walk to the clinic to see patients. It's a block away. I can walk a little faster. All these activities really add up. They mean something, even though they're short periods of time. Right. And then I would also just note that these folks all had a wearable device that could capture it. So if you're thinking of treating yourself for something for Christmas and you need that motivation, maybe this is the thing to get. Yeah, I mean, this is the first time that a wearable device has actually examined VILPAs and how they're related or associated with mortality. On to your next one, sir. That's in JAMA. The number of people that have osteoarthritis is actually pretty staggering. From about the last decade, osteoarthritis affected approximately 240 million people worldwide. They live with their symptoms an average of 26 years. One of the recommendations we oftentimes make to these individuals is, let's get you on a diet to reduce your weight, and let's get you on a regular exercise program with the intention that, in fact, that'll improve their knee pain. So this was a study that actually assessed whether that was the case or not. They randomly took over 800 individuals to one of two arms, a diet and exercise intervention, or what's called an attention control group. And they treated these people for 18 months. And the attention control group, they met for an hour over a several month period to just give them some ideas about what they ought to do to lead a healthy lifestyle. It wasn't directed toward diet and exercise. At the end of 18 months, was your knee pain better? And then they looked at a bunch of secondary measures. In fact, seven different secondary body measures. And here's what they found out. About 80% completed the trial. In both groups, the pain in the knee went down similarly. The individuals that had the diet and exercise were no better off than those that had the attention control, just leading a healthy lifestyle. Even though they lost on average about 14 pounds or more. It may be the diet and exercise really isn't any better. Despite the fact we've been recommending it, it really doesn't provide any additional benefit. Hmm. I guess I'm struggling a little bit with this because I would have thought that if you unweight that poor painful joint, you would end up with less pain. Could we also account for this with the idea that if we started earlier, we might have a better result? 
I'm going to take a step back and say, you and I suffer from the same thing. We have a bias. If you ask me what I've been enrolled in, in the study, I'd say, well, of course not, because we know that diet and exercise are beneficial in people with osteoarthritis. So part of our prejudice is we feel like it is. And, and when it doesn't happen, we have to find a reason. You know, if it has showed a benefit, we just take it at face value. But this shows our own prejudice. Now, could it be done differently? Absolutely. Would it be any different? It's really hard to say. I definitely agree with that. And I'm always finding out where those biases are in many different aspects of life. Sticking with Gemma then, let's go to the effects of mindfulness training and exercise on cognitive function in older adults. This study examined whether using these techniques, mindfulness-based stress reduction exercise or a combination of both improved this cognitive function. This was a two-by-two study design. They had 585 adults between ages of 65 and 84 with subjective cognitive concerns. I think this is a really important aspect of this study. They randomized these folks to 60 minutes daily of meditation, which is, seems like a lot to me, exercise with aerobic strength and functional components with a target of 300 minutes weekly as a minimum, a combined exercise and mindfulness-based stress reduction, or a health education control group. They carried on this study for 18 months and they had group-based classes and home practice. And they looked at some measures that were objective. For example, hippocampal volume and dorsolateral prefrontal cortex thickness. They also did a bunch of neuropsychological testing. What they found was that of these, they had five pre-specified secondary outcomes. None of them showed a significant improvement with any intervention compared with those not receiving the intervention. Those older adults who come to you with subjective cognitive concerns, exercise, mindfulness, and a combination really don't seem to have much of an impact. And were you surprised at this, Elizabeth? I was. I thought that there might have been an impact of this. Yeah, I was surprised too, because there are other studies that show that exercise might be beneficial, especially in people that have known cognitive impairment. But as you noted, these people didn't have dementia. They didn't have cognitive impairment. They were just worried about it, as many of us are. And so as we enter our older years, we're saying, what can we do to delay the cognitive impairment? And if you don't have any, it doesn't look like mindfulness training and exercise helps delay it. In our previous conversation, you said, well, if we applied exercise and diet earlier to osteoarthritis, would it help? Well, this is a great example of if we apply exercise and mindfulness training earlier before there's any cognitive impairment, it doesn't help and it doesn't appear to be helpful. One of the measures they actually used was they did MRI imaging of the brain to see if those areas of the brain that are associated with this cognitive impairment were any different in terms of their size. It basically, the brain shrank. It didn't really matter. We have to, of course, congratulate Jim on publishing two negative studies. <laughs> yeah. Oftentimes, negative studies don't get published. But these are helpful because we have biases about these things. And we need to know. If, if things aren't helpful, we need to know and direct our attention somewhere else. So I agree with you. We report on both positive and negative studies, especially those things that we have control over. On that note, then, that's a look at this week's medical headlines from Texas Tech. I'm Elizabeth Tracy. And I'm Rick Lang. Y'all listen up and make healthy choices.